It's always a pleasure to be with your congregation. Today, my sermon has a spiritual theme. I want to share with you some of the reasons why I believe that there is a spiritual reality. To begin, I have a metaphysical theory that is half serious. I believe that the universe tends to maximize irony. Whatever happens will be the thing that messes with you the most. And what's more, I think we all know this. Here are some examples. Imagine it's Friday and your backup hard drive crashes on your computer. Rather than immediately running out and replacing it, you promise yourself you'll pick one up at the store on the way home from church on Sunday. It's only a couple of days, right? Now, just about every one of you can guess what I'm about to say. That sometime before Sunday arrives, you, and you make a new backup of your computer, the main hard drive will crash and you'll lose everything. You're all expecting that punchline because you also believe that the universe tends to maximize irony. And therefore, of course, that's what's going to happen. You close on your dream house. It's a bit of a financial stretch but it's the house you've always wanted. So of course the next day your company will announce layoffs. You decide you finally got to do something about your weight. Gotta be careful who I'm looking at when I say that. So you eat a light lunch. You stop off at the health club on the way home. You take out a year's membership. And so, of course, when you get home, you'll discover that your spouse was in the mood to bake pies. Now, none of you are surprised by the scenarios I've just described because you know, as I do, that it almost seems like there is a metaphysical principle at work here. In our universe, irony is always maximized whenever possible, or at least it seems that way. Now, irony is usually defined as a contradictory outcome of events as if in mockery of the promise and fitness of things. It's a romantic and a literary notion, but I think there's more to it than that. This morning, I want to explore the whole notion of irony and see if perhaps there isn't some religious and spiritual truth within it. Is irony really one of the laws of the universe, or does it just seem that way? There's a, a psychological principle called apophenia, coined in 1958 by Klaus Conrad, a German psychiatrist, in an attempt to explain the distorted thinking of early-stage schizophrenia. The human brain seeks meaningful patterns and apparently random information. A bunch of random stuff happens, but our minds project a pattern onto it, and we think there is a meaningful order. Then we come up with an explanation for that order, and voila, 
We think we've seen an omen or a miracle, figured out how to win at roulette, discovered a portrait of Jesus in a potato chip, or discovered evidence of a new conspiracy theory. Now, in your order of service today, I've printed a short piece titled, To Be Read During the Sermon When Asked. Take it out, take 30 seconds now, and read it. Now, 90% of the people in this room will have read that message to be, this message serves to prove how our minds can do amazing things, impressive things. In the beginning, it was hard, but now on this line, your mind is reading it automatically without even thinking about it. That's apophenia. There are no words in that original passage. It's only meaningless characters that sort of resemble words. Your mind sees the resemblance, the pattern, and projects a meaning onto them. And you read it as if it were English text instead of the lines of gibberish it actually is. Sorry. <laughs> Give the sign, Lord. <laughs> Most mental illnesses are, in fact, exaggerations of normal states of human consciousness. Depression is an exaggeration of normal sadness. Anxiety is an exaggeration of normal worry. Dr. Conrad believed that schizophrenia was an exaggeration of normal apophenia, in which the patient saw levels of meaning and random events to a degree that overloaded the processing power of the brain. Now, could it be that, that irony is just another example of apophenia? Random stuff happens, but because it happens in a way that makes us feel regretful or rueful, our mind projects a pattern onto it and we think it's meaningful. There is actually no connection between the fact that I just washed my car and it started to rain the moment I put the hose away. Certainly that's happened some of the time. I think it's meaningful because of apophenia, but it's really just coincidence. Now, according to evolutionary theory, the behaviors and qualities we possess develop for a reason. The reason is they help us survive. If the world is such that it's better to be big rather than little, successful creatures will evolve to be big. On the other hand, if the world is such that it's better to be little, the opposite will happen. Why have we evolved the ability of apophenia? Why have our minds evolved in such a way that we automatically seek meaningful patterns and even random information? What purpose does that serve? It relieves stress. There is no stress greater 
than the feeling of helplessness. Martin Segelman at the University of Pennsylvania School of Professional Psychology began a series of famous experiments in 1967 in which he conditioned dogs to feel helpless about being able to escape pain. The dogs quickly learned that there was no response they could make in the experimental situation that didn't result in some form of electrical shock. After a series of repetitions, the animals simply gave up trying to fight back. They stopped trying to avoid the pain, and even when obvious opportunities were provided for the conditioned animals to escape, they would not. They had learned that they were helpless and simply endured the pain with stoicism, while unconditioned animals quickly jumped out the open door to freedom. Experiments with other animals produced the same results as did interesting experiments on college freshmen. <laughs> Segelman believed the stress had caused the animals to become so depressed that they couldn't, they couldn't care about their own condition. He reasoned that it must have produced an insufficiency of serotonin in the brain. That is to say, he believed that the physical stress of the electrical shock produced a psychological depression in the mind of the dogs. However, more recent work has suggested that he was mistaken. Scientist Moses Valaquez Manoff wrote in a recent New York Times article that current research shows that the more helpless one feels when facing a given stressor, the more toxic the stressor's effects. In fact, the earlier one experiences helplessness, the worse it is for a child's nervous system by evolutionary design is impressionable. The research shows that the early developmental experience of feeling helplessness, feeling helpless, actually changes a person's DNA and makes that person more prone to illness, and as such experiences are far more common among poor children than among wealthy, this has come to be called the status syndrome. In people who experienced feelings of helplessness in early life, the telomeres, the, the structures at the tip of the chromosomes, become measurably shorter. This causes accelerated aging, inflammation, and a predisposition to degenerative diseases like diabetes and heart disease. Bruce McGuinn at uh, Rockefeller University in New York calls this the biological embedding of stress. To quote Valakas Manoff, your parents' social standing and your stress level during early life changed how your body and brain work. As more American children grow up in poverty than in any other developed nation, this may explain, that why, explain why that as a nation we are sicker than other first world nations even though other first world nations smoke or drink more than we do on average. Because stress is so toxic, especially to children, it appears that we have evolved a mechanism to fight back, and that mechanism is apophenia. When we're in a bad way, 
our mind tries to figure out a pattern or a meaning because it helps us maintain hope. Austrian psychotherapist Viktor Frankl, who was sent to a concentration camp in 1994, Auschwitz, and lived as a prisoner there, when he was released, wrote a wonderful book titled Say Yes to Life in Spite of Everything, published in English under the sexist title of Man's Search for Meaning. Frankel based his findings on what he had experienced in the concentration camp. One of the things he said was, if you know the how, you can put up with almost any why. That is, if your suffering and anxiety have meaning to you, then you'll be able to deal with them better because you will not feel helpless. The rabbi at Auschwitz who believed he was suffering to uphold the honor of the Jewish people could keep hope and survive better than the person whose suffering had no meaning. Having a sense of meaning makes us strong. And so our minds instinctively look for meaning even in random things. It knows that if it can find a meaning, we'll do better than if it can't. And so we've evolved the ability to do that. And much of the time, this works, and you become resilient. Irony is what we experience when we think we found a meaning in events, only when circumstances conspire to show that meaning is problematic. It's the emotion we feel when we realize that our meaning-making mechanism has sputtered and flopped. You know, you resolve that from now on you're going to make your own decisions. And so you make a bad investment because you ignore expert advice. You resolve to concentrate on your graduate studies and then realize you were, you were so busy home studying theology you forgot to go to church. Someone you know chokes to death because they decided to finally sit down to a healthy meal of root vegetables. You learn that the most shoplifted book in the United States is the Bible, and that some environmental organizations want to ban fire extinguishers because they contribute to global warming. But is that all there is? True, really. Feeling helpless in the face of events is really toxic. To combat that toxicity, our mind automatically tries to find meaning in events because that makes us feel better. Sometimes the meaning turns out to be obviously wrong, and when we realize that, we experience irony. But even if the meaning doesn't turn out to be wrong, it's still just something we made up, right? Now this would be a really, really appropriate place for me to insert the final quote from the narrator of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And crawling on the planet's face, some insects called the human race, lost in time, lost in space, and meaning. But I'm not going to do that. And the reason I'm not going to do that is I don't believe that. I believe there is a spiritual reality behind this world and that it filters into this world and that irony helps us see it. Now, there can be no proof of such a reality, but there can be evidence for it. 
that there may in fact be a meeting behind at least some events. We make our guesses about what life means. Sometimes that works and sometimes it's ironic. But occasionally there is what William James called a something more. This is what my favorite religious philosopher Carl Jung called synchronicity, which can be thought of as irony on steroids. Sometimes there is a layering of coincidences that is so deep, so overdetermined, that the probability of this actually being a coincidence drops to zero. At that point, what seems to be a collection of coincidences becomes something else, as if there were something leaking into our universe from somewhere else that isn't explainable as simple randomness. In 1952, Jung himself wrote about such an experience in his book titled Synchronicity. A young woman I was treating had, at a critical moment, a dream in which she was given a golden scarab. While she was telling me this dream, I sat with my back to the closed window. Suddenly, I heard a noise behind me, like a gentle tapping. I turned round and saw a flying insect knocking against the window pane from the outside. I opened the window and caught the insect in the air. It was the nearest analogy to a golden scarab one finds in our latitudes, the scarabean beetle, which contrary to its usual habits, had evidently felt the urge to get into a dark room at that particular moment. I must admit that nothing like it has ever happened to me before or since. Jung handed the beetle to the woman and said, here is your scarab. And immediately she had an immense personal breakthrough in her therapy. Now, if that's not creepy enough, cons consider the case of what physicists call the Pauli effect, reported by the great physicist George Carnot. Dr. Wolfgang Pauli was notorious for causing scientific instruments to break. He didn't actually damage them himself, but all he had to do was walk into a laboratory and any scientific equipment that had been working perfectly would suddenly go haywire. One day in his lab in Grodingen, Professor James Franck had a complicated machine for the study of atomic phenomena suddenly collapse for no reason he could think of. He sent a humorous letter to Polly, who Frank believed was in Switzerland, saying, well, at least you're not responsible for this. He quickly received a response from Polly telling him that at the exact moment when the machine collapsed, Polly was in Grottingen on a train, sitting in a railroad siding on his way to visit their mutual colleague, Niels Bohr. Most of us have had experiences like this. You pick up a telephone that has not yet rung and find that the person you intended to call is already on the line trying to call you. A book falls off the shelf and opens to exactly the passage you were looking for. Sometimes there is a layering of coincidences that is so deep, so overdetermined, that the probability of it actually being a coincidence 
seems to drop close to zero. At that point, what had seemed to be merely a collection of coincidences becomes something more, as if there were something leaking into our universe from somewhere else, and in your gut you know it isn't explainable as simple randomness. Jung thought these these incidences were examples of the group, collective unconsciousness, a group mind composed of all minds, breaking into our world in a way that promoted wholeness. But these are the moments common to the mystics of both East and West, held up as evidence that there is something more to our universe than just matter and energy cause and effect. These moments, and we have all had them, are not proof that there is a spiritual reality, but they are evidence that one may truly exist, that there may be a deeper order to things. And I stress I make no claim of proof. One cannot convince a spiritual skeptic, but like Jung, I make personal testimony to the sense that there is something more at work in life, at least from time to time, and that one has what philosophers call an a priori sense of this. One knows in one's gut that something is obviously valid. Philosophers have long expected that there is a sort of basic knowledge that is actually built into the structure of the human mind. Now, some decisions are really complicated, and you've got to think them through carefully to figure out right from wrong, praiseworthy from blameworthy. But still, there does seem to be a baseline sense of what is true, as Harvard philosopher John Rawls put it in his book, A Theory of Justice. Remember that commercial in 2009 by Ally Bank where a market researcher is sitting at a table with two small girls, and he says to one, would, would you like a pony? And she says, sure, and he, he gives her a toy pony. Then he turns to the other girl and said, hey, would you like a pony? And she says, yes. And so he nickers and calls over a real pony and gives the reins to her. Hey, you didn't say I could have a real pony, the first girl says. Well, says the man, you didn't ask. And the narrator says, even kids know it's wrong to hold out on somebody. Why don't banks? Why not indeed? The point of that commercial is that we all do have a sense of what is correct and what is not, at least in certain cases. Where does that inner sense come from? Perhaps the same place as the awareness that something special has happened when coincidence piles upon coincidence in a way that defines, defies logic and becomes something more. May we reflectively cherish that something more. I do. And that's my sermon.